0: The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guests' own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of AIHA. AIHA does not endorse any guest or the entity that they represent. On this episode of Healthier Workplaces, we talk about diversity for STEM with Freddie Lujavardi, the CEO of CC Puerto Foundation.
1: We need to drop the, in- the industrial uh, revolution style education, uh, and realize that humans are natural learners and there's so much content out there that trying to make a person equivalent to Google is pointless. You need to make a person be able to use Google, how to determine what is the right information and how to take that information and utilize it to solve problems. I think that's what education, the biggest change in education needs to be, is that shift from content focused to process focused.
2: Meet Alice Hamilton, she was an early pioneer in what we know today as industrial hygiene. Her work had a profound impact on AIHA's earliest members. AIHA's Hamilton Club recognizes organizations that continue her work. These corporate partners use innovation and expertise to shape the future of worker health and safety. Partners receive tiered benefits of access, recognition, contribution, and brand exposure. The Hamilton Club is the center of support and investment between club partners, AIHA, and its members. This is where the future of the profession shines the brightest. For more information, visit AIHA.info slash Hamilton Club.
1: So I uh, worked in the public education system for 30 years with Phoenix Union High School District at Carl Hayden High School. And that's where I kind of, I guess, made a name for myself as a robotics instructor. Okay. Um, And so there's a lot of stories that go along with that. Uh, And uh, after 30 years, I wanted to do something different uh, just to stretch my wings and to also give my family a little more flexibility uh, hours wise from my job commitments. You know, so I found um, a foundation uh, nearby is real close to my home in Chandler called the Cisa Puede Foundation. And I asked them for, you know, like a part time employment they hired me as the uh, stem coordinator for the program. so I was overseeing the different robotics programs that they had and, and whatnot. And over a period of I guess it's now five years, uh, I eventually I got promoted and moved into the CEO position. the previous CEO retired and uh, moved on. and they asked me, the board asked me if I could you know go ahead and step into that role. So it wasn't something I was planning on doing. Uh, something that kind of fell into, uh, you know, happening by itself. Mm -hmm. Um, The good thing is, is that we, we did acquire a building. uh, Finally, Um, the organization had been in existence for 30 years without a place to call home. They were always using schools and different places as bases of operation. So we finally have our own building and it's called the Cisipuete Foundation STEM Center. And its focus uh, is to, bridge the STEM divide that exists in our underserved populations to prepare uh, these underserved populations for the 21st century workforce. So schools that don't have robotics programs because they're too small, like charter schools or comprehensive schools that just aren't into uh, that kind of thing, we're there to service that that population. Um, And it was Professor Woody Flowers at MIT that came up with the quote that I use as my focus is that in any given population that's currently not engaged in the STEM economy, at least 15% of that population can be engaged. And so we're aiming for that 15%. That's our our mission. Uh, We also extend out a little bit as far as helping out the STEM ecosystem in Arizona. So uh, other robotics teams that are starting up or that have been in existence, but don't have the equipment that we have or the space to test their robots, can come and utilize our equipment and our space for free. We're dedicated to trying to get as many uh, robotics teams out there as possible at the high school level because it's important for our uh, economy in the state and our national security in the country for our students to be able to function in a new STEM economy.
0: So what's interesting, so STEM obviously is more encompassing than than robotics. Robotics is a specific target Mm -hmm. area that know obviously incorporates engineering and programming everything you know it's 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 it's, it's actually yeah i I can see where that would be a a really great focal point um so your the foundation that you're involved with um robotics isn't the only thought though right it's like stem it's stem in general or am i
1: um I'd say robotics is not our only thing, but it is our main focus because okay. it's the thing that pulls the kids in. It's also what is able to generate a lot of income for funding and then, you know, from grants and things like that, because that's the major area of, of development in the U.S. as far as, mm-hmm. you know, trying to push kids into that area. However, uh, an example of something we do for the community, and this is a specific uh, community called the, uh, kids that are affected, uh, affected with cerebral palsy or muscular dystrophy we partner up with the organizations that um, represent them. And we've come up with what we call a Jeep hack. And so we'll take a toy Jeep that kids can sit in and ride in that's electric, but these kids don't have their use of their legs for mobility. So we will actually hack the Jeep and make it so that we'll put a button on the steering wheel. And so then they can come in. We make sure the Jeep fits them and then they're able to hit the button on the steering wheel and steer. And so for the first time in their lives, and many of them have never been able to self-mobilize because it's too expensive to make wheelchairs that small and parents can't afford it. And they're going to outgrow it anyway. So to spend $45,000 on a wheelchair and the kid might not have the dexterity in their hand to control it properly until they get older or have physical therapy or that kind of thing. So this is an intermediate step for those kids to have a little bit of freedom but also it shows our students that do these hacks, what a little bit of STEM, you know, can do to change mm-hmm. the lives of someone else. And so I think that's the lesson that we're looking to get out of it. But at the same time, we're providing a service for another group. Mm-hmm. So if, if there's another group that approaches us, let's say, and I've used this as an example. I don't know if it'll ever come for fruition, but I'm really hoping it does sometime let's say there's a a women's sewing circle and they want to incorporate LED technology into their fabrics and their clothing and whatever. And we know how to do the LEDs and how to program them and make patterns and all that kind of stuff. Wouldn't that be a great collaboration if they came to us and said, Hey, we want a workshop on how to, you know, utilize these LEDs. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, maybe they can make jackets for people that walk at night that are not only alerting traffic, but also have designs or patterns or Mm -hmm. whatever. So it's just it's just we're there to serve the community in whatever way possible. What we don't do is just have a wide open door and people can just come off the street. We want planned specific mm-hmm. functions so they can make an appointment set up with us. So we're open for the community. But our major focus is anything in robotics. There's so many different robotics platforms. There's VEX Robotics, which is the shoebox size robots. There's FTC Robots. There's a high school level called First Robotics. Uh, so there's all these different levels. There's underwater robotics. We also hold competitions uh, for like the first Lego League. So um, kids that are in the Lego robotics will have a competition to go and participate in, and that can serve up to 300 kids for each competition. So um, we're we're trying to, like I said, we're trying to become part of that STEM ecosystem. But in mm-hmm. this case, yes, it's specifically robotics. Mm-hmm. But having said that, as you mentioned, there it's an interdisciplinary skills that are necessary to pull off robotics you got logistics electrical mechanical programming it's more of a systems integration project and the bottom line is if kids learn how to solve problems regardless of what the field is they're able to use the scientific method they're able to use science technology engineering and mathematics to solve problems that's what we're focused on
0: what seems fascinating too is that you're taking specific applications that you know you can see it, like you can see an immediate outcome like you for example hack- hacking those uh you know the, the uh ride on cars and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and uh you know well, any any applications where you're taking high school you know where you're you're starting with grade school as well right not, or, or are you
1: well we host events for grade schools okay. we don't we don't uh work with grade school students at the shop because there's a lot of machinery and, and sure. liability yeah, is yeah. an issue and we don't want to hurt little kids but mm-hmm. we're willing to do you know, events for them. And we may hold a workshop or something at the STEM center. Maybe, they, maybe a teacher comes with their Lego robotics kids and we teach them how to program a robot. Mm-hmm. But as far as hosting a the team there, no. Our foundation mm-hmm. hosts two junior high teams, which are FTC. They're like the shoebox size robots. Okay, Very little manufacturing, but basic robotic principles are still involved in programming and assembling and doing some modification or some manu- uh, manufacturing like with 3D printing. To make parts for the robot mm-hmm. but the high school level is the full-on manufacturing so they're using the cnc machines that sure. cut the metal and all that type of stuff yeah so, so that,
0: that's really you're covering almost every aspect of stem there between programming manufacturing, with the mechanical engineering uh the, you know, the computer science i mean all of it right i mean yes it's fascinating yeah what i really what i think is really great is just again coming up with real life applications as opposed to just be, you know, talking in, you know, more esoteric terms. I mean, you're actually, you know, your projects that your groups are doing are like real world applications where your participants really get to make something that's impactful, which is fascinating.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things I learned in education is hypotheticals work great in the classroom, but you don't very rarely get the inspiration and motivation that you're looking for because people will say, well, how do you motivate people as as a teacher? And I say, well, nothing motivates people like, competition, human beings are natural competitors. They, they don't wanna be embarrassed. And having things that are actually tangible that they can hold their hands. And like, for instance, I could come up and, and say, okay, kids, we're gonna have a, a class on uh, gear drive, you know, gear train ratios and that type of thing and coefficient of frictions. And you might get the one nerdy kid that's interested to you know pay attention. But if we go to a robot competition and our robot gets pushed around and we can't push any other robot around and our tires are always slipping, the kids will come to me and say, what can we do to make our robot the one that's pushing or the one that's faster or the one that has the stickier wheels? And then I basically got a captive audience. I can say, well, you need to know understand coefficient of friction. You understand gear ratios so that you know your gear ratio has to be you know higher than theirs so that you can push them around the field instead of them pushing you. So it's kind of like an incidental learning. There's an incident that's created, and then they learn incidentally. So the focus that we have is – We don't have classes, per se. The classes come out of, if you call them classes in quotes, it might be a mentor working with two students doing the calculations to build a gearbox for a robot. Mm -hmm. So it's very specific. Our goal is to inspire kids to want to go into STEM. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's our focus. It's a secondary effect if they learn specific skills. Because the way I look at it is if people are inspired, the learning happens automatically. That's how people are naturally inclined. You know, everyone that goes into a competition wants to get better, wants to do better, wants to know how to one up their opponent. And then when you say, well, the way to do that is you need to understand this math or you need to understand this friction or you need to understand this strategy. Then it becomes something that's internalized because the best way that that learning is sticks to your brain is three dimensional. I put my fingers in the right place. (laughs) Three dimensional. So the first is the content. Obviously, that's where most education stops. Second is the uh, relevance to you. So if you have a robotics competition and everyone's depending on you to do your part, you're not going to let the team down. It's kind of like that relay effect that you see in track and field. A lot of times people that run a leg of their relay run it faster than they do if they ran that distance just by themselves on the track. Because they don't want to be the one to let the team down. So there's that aspect. There's many different ways you can have social relevancy, but that's in this case competition, that's what that is. And then there's the physical activity. If your brain and hands and eyes are involved in moving in order to solve this problem, you have a very deep learning that occurs. This is stuff that won't disappear six months later, like stuff that disappears when you take a standardized test. You know, you can gear up for the test, and then six months later, if you take the test off sequence, your score drops dramatically. Sure. So you have to ask yourself, what is it in education that we really want to teach? Is it content or process? And to me, process is something you can ingrain because that same process could be used to solve many different problems. The other example I use because people say, well, you you really any problem? I say, yeah, even dating. If you look at it, if you put dating through the scientific method principle, it's exactly the same thing. You come up with a hypothesis saying, well, I think if I ask that that young lady to go out on a date with me because I'm wearing this nightshirt shirt and I have, you know, a car, she'll say yes, right? And if I go and she says no, then I come back and say, hmm, my hypothesis was wrong. What do I need to change in order to get her to change her mind? So maybe I get a sports car. And then I go back and say, hey, you know, do you want to go on a date now? And she's like, yeah. So then I conclude, well, see, it was because of my car that I didn't get the date. Now I have, you know, an answer. So, you can use the scientific sure. method in everyday life. And I think that's, that's a great analogy too. That. That's
0: funny. Yeah, uh, and, and the thing is, I think that's, that's so important is I think education, at least in this country it has really been primary, fo- primarily focused on content. There's no question about it. It's very content and, and not process oriented, right? Because process, I, I don't know, like content's easier to teach in that it's rote memorization and it's not like you're not conceptualizing and you're not really bringing it to life as much mm-hmm. as you should. And, and I mean, some of the science classes, we do it a little bit, right? I mean, what, you know, I, I'm assuming you and I are similar ages. Uh, so, you know, back when I was in school in the seventies, it was, you know, very, you know, you, you had yeah. to fit the mold. And if you didn't fit the mold, you were kind of an outlier and you you probably didn't excel because you, you were, you, you thought you had a different thought process the way you worked on things. And to be able to bring that relevance, you know, in, in the, in these highly, technical, highly scientific areas of STEM um, Mm -hmm. makes it, I don't know, I'm not gonna say humanizes it, but I can see where it brings that relevance to the individual where they like, really get excited about it.
1: It's more pragmatic. Yeah. You need to keep in mind, you know, education, public education in the US kind of developed when the industrial age was in place. So if you look at education, how it's run, it's almost run like a factory, the bell rings, everyone switches from one class to another, Uh, everyone's measured by their output. Standardized testing came as a result of the psychology industry when they needed a way to come up with assessments and somehow uh, people in education uh, to be held accountable to their state legislators or whatever thought that this was a great method for testing knowledge. Well, maybe at a certain point in our history when, you know, not everybody had access to Google or or whatever, it might have been important to memorize the speed of light, but now you can look it up. You know, it might have been important before to have to memorize the formulas, but now you can look it up. Right. That's a huge it's more point important to learn how to think. And I think that's the hardest thing that education is having, because it's like they're so entrenched in what's supposed to be education that they don't understand that if you have a person that is able to, you know, organize their thoughts and come up with possible solutions. So one of the things I get asked, and this is a good example is, well, so if you're not a, a, for a standardized testing, how do you evaluate your students? I said, here's the example. You put four kids in a room with a box, and you tell them in one hour, I'm going to come back, and you need to be able to define the problem. That's number one. So if you can do that, if you can define the problem, that's 50%. If you can then give me one or two or three possible things to try to see if it would solve that problem, and if you can tell me how you can tell if that result is, you know, you can tell me whether it worked or not you pass. Why? Because in the real world, when do you ever sit down and get something right the first time? Never. So why are we testing where you have to sit down and get everything right on the test the first time?
0: Never. Yeah, it's not not real world. It's not what the the whole testing, the standardized testing, unfortunately, does not reflect on how you're going to perform in the job place or even life in general. I mean, right, you're not able to problem solve but Memor- here's a good example
1: that'll show the difference. I can get a computer to take a standardized test and ace it every single time. Mm-hmm. But if I give a computer a problem that's never seen before, can it solve it?
0: Oh, with AI, maybe now. But but even with
1: AI, it's yeah, still, still not as good as a person.
0: Yeah. With the creativity,
1: one of the things I tell students uh, when I was still teaching, I still tell students now, but I'm not really their teacher anymore. I'm more kind of two steps removed is if you want to have a place in this 21st century economy, you need to make sure that you accentuate your humanity. So what does that mean? That means you have to make what makes you human more valuable than the machine. If you're trying to do what a computer can do, a computer is going to outdo you. If you're trying to do what a machine can do, a machine's going to outdo you. What can you do that a machine or a computer at least can't do now? and that's be creative and solve problems that you've never encountered. So if you emphasize that in whatever field you're in, you will maintain your relevancy. In teaching, most places now can go to online teaching for a standard educational learner, someone who's neurotypical, you really don't need an instructor if they're motivated to go through and take all the courses and whatever. So where does a teacher fit in? Ah, what about the kids that have learning problems? computer or machine can't adjust to the person's learning style and accommodate when they they can't tell how the person doesn't understand or what the person doesn't understand so again if you accentuate that humanity you as a person can maybe guess why this other person is having an educational block and they can't learn so you might be able to come up with an example that they can relate to or help guide them through a way to get through the hurdle that they're they're at machines can't do that at least not now ai might in the future but for the time being, if you want to be relevant, you need to accentuate what makes you human.
0: So th- that's a huge point you're making there, Freddie. Though, because uh, in reality, people do learn differently, um, mm-hmm. and and standardized testing and that whole mindset it was was basically saying one size fits all. This is how you're going to do it. You're either going to you know sink or swim based on this is how we do things. And the problem is, like I, I, I for one was a student that I very I gained a lot from real time lecture. Mm-hmm. You know, both, both in college and in high school. So, if I was with an instructor that was a very dynamic presenter and really, you know, show, uh, you know, presented that information in a way that I could pick it up, I would be very good at it. But it, just sitting down and just reading, you know, copious pages and rote memorization, I was awful at that. I could never get the concepts. Um, you know, so for me, like I struggled in a lot of levels, and I'm just, I think a lot of students, you know, there's different ways. So this, I, I totally agree with you. It's like a human instructor. Is going you know a good one you know that, that that's cognizant of that is going to be able to pick up on the individual needs of the students but more importantly like we need to have a framework that allows instructors to do that you know and it's like mm-hmm. we don't have that framework really in this no then I mean,
1: teachers are, are are often like when i first started teaching i i entered the profession thinking wow you know I, I love science and technology and i can't wait to you know share it with all the students and change the world because i'm like gonna be this awesome teacher and then as soon as I got in the classroom, I realized, oh, there's all these standards that I have to cover on this specific day. And an evaluator is going to come in. And if I don't do it, they're going to say, why, aren't, why are you talking about you know, Mars instead of you know, what you're supposed to be doing and, and whatnot? So I felt like I was basically thrown to the wolves with one hand tied behind my back. And so I realized real quick that if I'm going to stay in education, I need to enjoy it. And the way for me to enjoy it is to have fun with the kids. So that's why I started doing these extracurricular STEM programs. Like we started with the science club and then moved to a science fair and then started a robotics team. And next thing I know, like I said, the education happens. I I didn't, I don't know how to CAD. I don't know how to use any of the machines that all my students use. I am the person that is the connector. I connect people with, who know how to CAD to teach people, my students how to CAD. Sometimes it's online tutorials, whatever it is. I become the conduit of information, the organizer, the team manager, making sure that kids are safe. And then I do, of course, have some logic so I can help them walk through problems because I do understand the scientific method. But it, it's exactly right. You know, and people have even accused you know, me. Well, you're telling the students all the day. I got be great if I could. But I have no clue how to tell them what to do. I just know how to explain the big picture and That's I can cool. guide them through it. Because you, they, they get on the internet. They figure out. They find the tutorials on how to check out the CNC machine, calibrate it. You know, do all that stuff. It, you know, it, it may sound weird or backward or whatever, but it's been working. And either people listen to it and I think have success, or they don't listen to it and we'll be the only ones that have success. So either way, I'm happy.
0: <laughs> no, it's it's great. Um. So so let let's uh. Let's focus in specifically on uh, the topic of diversity in STEM, right? Because that's that, that's um, that, that's an issue, is it not? I mean, it seems like yes. underserved communities are are less maybe I don't know what the word is. Is it's not motivated, less directed towards no. towards the STEM area? I mean, I, I they're, I'm really,
1: it's they are not targeted, so, right? They're not
0: given the opportunity. It's really not. It's not focused on them.
1: Yes, yeah. and so I can give the school I worked at, carleton High School. If you would have picked the school that would be least likely to have success in robotics, that would probably be the high school. Lowest standardized test scores. Average student comes to Carl Hayden High School at the fourth grade reading level, fourth grade math level. So they're four grades behind. How is it that I can take a group of students from there, help them organize and learn and build a robot that can beat MIT in an underwater robotics competition? How does that happen? It's not because I'm a stupid teacher. I don't know those those skills. But I do know how the process works. And I think that's what I leaned on And that's what the kids saw when I would model, like they would look at me when I was struggling to try to figure out how to learn something. And then they would go, well, he did it like this. So I'll do the same thing. They learned how to ask questions. They learned how to not be afraid. They learned how to take risks. They learned that you don't have to get something right the first time. It could take five times. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what school doesn't teach us. They want you to take the test, get it right. The first time, maybe if you're good, we'll let you take the test a second time, but that's it. Right. You know, they, it's not set up that way. Well, you now, get
0: pigeonholed. You get pigeonholed in school. Exactly. I mean, quite frankly, if you don't do well in the standardized testing at an early age, you're already you're already put in that behind group. you know, like you, and that's you are already almost cast in that for your entire uh, you know uh, public school career. You know those thirteen years of that, right? You're it's really hard to break out of that once they yes, and when you, what you slot, pointed out, you know?
1: you know, even when I first started with, working with the students they would come up to me and basically say they cannot compete against those other teams. And so I would take a very hard approach back at them. I'm saying, so you're telling me that genetically their brains are superior to you. And they would be quiet and say, well, no, but they had more classes or this or that. And I said, well, is there anything stopping you from taking an extra class or digging into the information? And they'd say, no. I said, so the only really difference is whether or not you want to succeed. And they go, is it that simple? I go, it's exactly that simple. You might have to take three extra classes to catch up to them. You might have to go online and find more information to catch up to them. But is it your choice? Or are you gonna let society decide because you're Hispanic and you're at a low-income school, Title I, parents didn't go to college, much less even graduate high school, are you gonna accept that or are you gonna change? you're being taught to accept whatever society says about you. That's why, you know, even after the the MIT win, my high school robotics team continued to have success and become one of the top teams in the country. They realized they were in control of their destiny. Yes, the road may be harder, but they are still in control. Any group can do that. So when I started working at C.C. Puede Foundation, I wanted to work with a, a group of women at a university level. So I found a professor Uh, at ASU who also saw the huge astronomical disparity of women in engineering. Mm -hmm. And so we started this experiment. We thought, well, if we can get a group of women, uh, freshmen, starting at college, and give them the same support we would a male team, would they be successful? Well, theoretically, if their brains are equal, the same argument to any male, and there's no genetic differentiation that makes them less inferior Then theoretically, if they have the same support and access and time to grow without being interfered with by a male dominated population, they should be able to be the number one team in the country. Right. So we entered the competition. It's called the uh, RoboSub. It's an autonomous underwater competition put on by the Office of Naval Research. And it takes place in California at a giant uh, pool on the naval base. It's a 300 foot across, 40 feet deep. Uh, 50 50 teams from 12 countries. In our first year, we were hoping to do it in three years, but in our first year, we finished first in the U.S., third in the world, just working with a group of women who never were in robotics before. But applying what the scientific method is, applying how do you engineer the competition, we gave them the same support we would any team that was male-dominated and they're able to succeed and excel at the same level. So the theory that all brains are equal in my book still holds. So your population if it's not performing, it's because they're not given access.
0: Right, and that's the caveat though. Is it not Freddie? because the bottom line is there's many populations that are not given access and they are not given that support and they you know and it's it's all well to good you know good say that you're going to you know you you have the opportunity, you have you you have the power to do and to be what you choose to be. Yeah, but everybody doesn't have the equal opportunity to rise up and do that. You know, it's like if you've if already dealt a bad, deck, you know, hand of cards to begin with, you have you still have to go be above and beyond what somebody that maybe was in a different circumstance has a a more readily available opportunity to those to those resources. It takes
1: it takes only one person, whether it comes from the population itself or someone from outside the population that comes and says, "Look, you guys can do this. Let mm-hmm. me show you how." It takes one person to change everything. Sure. That's well, all at least for that
0: group of people. But the point yes. is we need to, we need to, I think, need to embrace and encourage that in our mm-hmm. ed- education systems because I fear that that's, you're an outlier. And, and I hate to say that because it, it, it bothers me <laughs> to say that, that I think you're kind of an outlier here because I don't think across all these underserved communities in this country, we really have that or to well, the extent I- we need it.
1: I hate to think of myself as an outlier, but to some degree, I think you're right, because it does take some sacrifice on your part, because I could have gone someplace where it was easier and not have to work as hard or take as much risk. But um, when you're a human being and you care about other human beings, it's very difficult to turn your back when you see that there's a need that you know you can address. I was fortunate enough that financially I was able to barely at times be able to make that compromise and still you know, do what I felt was right in my heart, but I understand, you know, everybody's uh, you know, they got to support their families. They got to do what they have to do. So working at an impoverished school versus a a highly successful school takes less effort. Uh, You know, there's no doubt about it. And so you are right. It is an out, there is an outlier, but I have enough faith in humanity that there's enough people that do what I do. If they're given a little bit of support that there could be more success out there in these communities. Um, And here's the other thing that you may want to consider, and this may encourage companies and businesses to pay close attention to this, because this is one place that organizations like yours might be useful. I was asked, you know, how can uh, you try to attract more people to your industry? Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things is the general public doesn't know what you do. They have no clue what you do. No students are even, it's not even in their universe. So, the way you have to do that, you got to be in their community. You got to be in their face. So, one example I brought up is at these robotics competitions, there's different awards. And one of the awards is given by, uh, is for safety. So, they go look at each of the robot pits. If there's a team that looks like they're taking care of all the safety requirements, they got the MDS sheets, they got the fire extinguisher, they got all the electrical cords tucked away properly, everyone's wearing safety glasses, whatnot. And they give awards for who's got the best safety pit. it used to be underwriter laboratories but now they're not doing anymore so there's an opening for you guys if you want to jump in but the kids then see you they talk to you you can talk to them about oh yeah there's a whole profession where you can do what I'm doing and do it for a living and it's it has great benefits you know whatever it is the sales pitch that you want to get there but then the kids see you they know those yeah, jobs that, exist and that totally and, makes sense that approach yeah. and so so you know it, it's it's very important that you're part of the community and if you want people to Understand what you do, um, so that's my that's my recommendation as far as trying to get more people aware. Uh, there's many other opportunities. There's always these, you know. Let's let's hold a tour or a workshop, and those are okay. But it's it's it needs to be more sustained, more, you know, because people kids put into a bus and taken to on a field trip to talk about it. It's a You might it. get you might get one student, but but if it's a long term exposure, so mentoring for these robotics teams. Your 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 group could be the ones that go and say, "Look, we'll mentor at this robotics team," and you maybe go once a week for a period of six weeks. The kids get to learn you, uh, learn about you, learn what, what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you have, what's your family like, what's your life like. Do you like your job? Would you do another job? Or you know, those these are, the are kind of these things, are
0: huge questions that you, these are you know, the kind
1: of things kids want in the formative
0: years. Kids need that. I mean, to make yep. decisions on life decisions on how you're going to approach things. And, and again, I didn't mean to like imply that. The bulk of uh the professional teachers in america don't have that passion and don't have the desire to do that because i think i I would say it's safe to say that most everybody that gets into the teaching profession it's not a place where it's lucrative so you're getting into it because you you have a burning passion to do that i -hmm. mean i would say for the most part um you know so and sadly i think our institutions don't necessarily support that (laughs) You know, again, we, yeah. we're very structured, and you hit it
1: on the head. I think it's the institution, the way it's set up. You mm-hmm. know, schools that are that don't have as much as others. There's a systemic process by which they get funded. Uh, I don't know the details, and I don't pretend to know the details. But uh, you know, schools that have a higher tax base seem to do well. Schools that don't have a higher tax base don't seem to do well. So maybe restructuring how the money gets distributed so it's even. And if they can't do that, again, companies want solutions and any part of the community that's not engaged you don't know where that next great idea is going to come from it could be from that 15 percent that's being ignored so only when you include as much of the population and diversity as possible then you increase your chances for greater uh, success because now you have different points of view now you have different thought processes Whereas if everyone's homogeneous in your thinking, you're all gonna come up with the same answer. And if it's wrong, you all have the same wrong answer. So diversity is huge. Inclusion is huge. So if there's an argument to engage these populations and the schools as a country, as a system, as an institution, you want to reach out to these groups. Even if it's like what we're doing, focusing in one area. I mean, other groups can focus on other areas, but ours is getting the kids into robotics. And so I think that's the approach. You know, you. know, if, if you make it easier for the teacher that's willing to take a chance, then I think, you know, the teacher will stick with it. But when they have to fight their own administration sure. to get funding or a space or time, then it becomes difficult. So it's a whole systemic change on how you look at education. So you're right. It's not the teachers per se, because nobody chooses to go in teaching because they want to make money. I yeah, can tell you clearly that clear not, effect.
0: clearly not. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless
1: and, and, of where you teach.
0: No, I I get that. I actually started out uh, when I first went to college in secondary education. That was where I was headed. Uh, actually, phys ed, you know, in sports, you know, that was, that was, and through a very long process, I ended up in STEM also too. electrical engineering technology, you know, did a complete paradigm shift uh, and got back into like training. on, you know, on a, on a industrial uh, corporate level, but then uh, getting into youth athletics. I I got into it later years, like 25 years later, the cycle and, you know, got, got to somehow get to fruition on that. Um, But it's, it's challenging. I mean, people hats off to people that actually take up education as the career, because it's, it's essential. I mean, we, it's super essential, but it's also, I I don't think it's as well-respected as it should be.
1: Well, no, it's it's a it, it has a double that, you know. a double approach to that. Now, as you say t- to people that you're a teacher, they go, "Oh, wow, that's great," but if you look at what society values, obviously they value what they pay. And
0: right, nobody wants to pay teachers a, a, no. a living wage. You know, and then saying? there's that
1: if you if those who can't do teach, you know that that same thing too. That makes it sound like yeah, anyone can teach. Like that's awesome. I <laughs> like to see anyone walk into a classroom full of teenagers that don't know them and get in there and try to. Organize the classroom. Good luck to that. Oh, super! <laughs> There's challenge. a skill. There's a skill to that.
0: A lot, a lot of pushback there. I mean, and again, I, I would say, you know, from my experience in like youth athletics and, and coaching that, you at least had the captive audience because they wanted to get on the sports field and play football yes. or whatever sport you were coaching. That's different. So, yeah, you, you do. You, you have a stick and carrot, and you have a very readily available stick and carrot with that. But just in the classroom, you don't necessarily have that. It's like a, no. that's, that's a challenge.
1: The, the the trick is you got to show them that the carrot's a lot bigger than the stick.
0: Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's true in everything though, isn't Freddie? I mean that yeah. that's that's just in life in general and and just in the workplace. Uh, you know, it, it's. I mean, I would like to hope that we can we can make this paradigm shift, because I think I think our our, our future economically as a nation really depends on us upping our our level in the whole STEM. Uh, mm-hmm you know, world, because I think in some ways we've fallen behind uh, globally, you know, in in a lot of the industrialized nations. And it's sad because we were a leader at one point and I I don't know what happened, but you know, we certainly it's critical. And
1: I'm not going to claim I have the answer, but I think I do. And what it was is if you look at when the United States was number one, STEM was more part of our culture. All, everybody knew the seven names of the Mercury astronauts and who was the first person to walk on the moon. You'd be lucky if like, Even 50% of the people even know who the first person is that walked on the moon. And that's old news, right? Can anyone name like our current astronauts now? No. Does anyone even know who invented the cell phone? It was one guy. We all have cell phones. Can't live without them, but we don't know. But we do know who invented a light bulb, maybe, right? Mm -mm. (laughs) So that's what needs to change. And that's, you know, we talked about a little bit with systemic and education, but our society as a whole has to embrace STEM as a way of life. Not so much as, you know, this discipline that you learn in order to go work in this field. No, it's like I said, the process you could be used for dating. So it makes no difference. What you need to get out is that, you know, make it so that it becomes part of the culture. You know, it needs to be shown on the news. It needs to be highlighted. These people need to be celebrated. One of my favorite commercials, uh, they don't put it on anymore, but it was like an Intel commercial. And it was the person who invented the USB drive, the, the port, and it shows him walking into a, a, a like a coffee area, like a cafeteria in there at in, in, Intel. And the whole premise is nobody has rock stars like our rock stars. And he walks in and it's all in slow motion and all the women are fawning over him. The men want his autograph and everything. And he invented the USB drive, which is very instrumental to everything we use. Sure, sure. It's an exaggeration, but it does make the point. Mm-hmm. We need to celebrate it. I can't believe that people don't know and it was never promoted and it's not. And I just saw on CNN, the person who invented the cell phone, I think is 98 years old now. Oh, wow. And he's reflecting on the first call he made and it was calling the competitor that was trying to beat him to make the cell phone saying, you can stop now. I already got it. Um, It's a great story, right? Sure. No one knows knows the story. (laughs) So well, it's the celebration. Um, you can see someone shoot someone on TV before you can watch someone read to someone on TV. You know, there's another example. Of,
0: yeah. You know, what do we
1: emphasize?
0: Well, n- not not the things that are probably going to push our society forward in a positive manner. I mean that that and that's a commentary on a lot deeper th- than this discussion today. But you're you're absolutely right. And you know, and I think it does start. It really does start with trying to make a seismic paradigm shift in in our educational systems in this country. Because it's really this whole thing of you know just being okay with dropping a whole large portion of the society off off the scale. There is insane. It it, that's no way you can't move forward that way. You you really need to be inclusive.
1: That I have noticed. If you looked in history of the United States, it's since we're such a very diverse population overall, as opposed to a lot of countries that tend to be more homogeneous in mm-hmm. their thought process and their politics and whatnot, when the United States gets kicked um, on its butt, basically, um, the United States can pull together. And because of its diversity, and because of its resources, and because of its creativity, it can easily become the number one giant in the world. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it seems like we have to be caught behind before we decide okay we screwed around we need to get our act together and start moving i mean you know is it going to take a video of you know china planting a flag on the moon before we go oh my god you know what were we doing all this time why aren't we on the moon Uh, or is it going to take you know we getting beat to mars or maybe they put satellites that have nuclear weapons and then they can basically we at the mercy of another country because our technology is not advanced enough so those are the kind of things I think. Unfortunately, for the United States, it, it it seems to be that's the way it goes. We have to get knocked down before we realize, oh my God, we all need to put aside our mm-hmm. differences because if we want to survive, we have to work together. Mm-hmm. That's that's what happened during the Cold War. It's what sure. happened when Sputnik flew over the U.S. Yeah, the, and oh, the, yeah,
0: the space program. We like, could immediately. drop a
1: bomb on us, and there's nothing we can do about it. Yeah. That's that's what we need. Not that I'm promoting. You know, violence. No, but
0: you're 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 citing a good historical point with with our nation is that uh, you're right. We tend to be be, we let ourselves fall behind through apathy or you know whatever whatever the reasons, and then you know and then but we're able to ramp up dramatically in in crisis. There's no question about it. COVID vaccines. Yeah.
1: What country developed that the fastest? Yeah. Well. And the most.
0: Yeah, we just we we put our mind to it. We can do it. Well, we have a lot of resources too if we actually use them appropriately. Yeah. So, yeah, all all these are such great points. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna spin here and give you the opportunity. Is there any other closing point or any area that we didn't cover in this? I think this is a great interview, by the way. I, I love where this went. Um, because I to edit this down to thirty minutes is going to be a challenge. But um, <laughs> but if there's like, is is there another yeah. burning issue or a point that you want to make that would get in there? I mean,
1: I think probably the the biggest thing that's missing in education. If I had to boil it down to one one thing it's inspiring and motivating students. And people have always asked me, what do you do? You know, How do you inspire students? And that's it's a difficult question to answer. The only thing I can say is that if the teacher is inspired and excited about what they're doing, I think that excitement can rub off. So that probably is the number one thing. Institutions need to be set up to allow pe- teachers to pursue their inspiration and their motivation and their passion, because when that happens, a lot of things get pulled into line for education to be fun, exciting and challenging. We need to drop the the industrial uh, revolution style education uh, and realize that humans are natural learners and there's so much content out there that trying to make a person equivalent to Google is pointless. You need to make a person be able to use Google, how to determine what is the right information and how to take that information and utilize it to solve problems. I think that's what education, the biggest change in education needs to be, is that shift from content focused to process focused and make it fun. If it's fun, kids will learn.
0: That's huge. Freddie, thanks so very much for joining us. Uh, we're out of time, but th- this, what an important topic and, uh, definitely keep us abreast of what you're, what you're up to with your organization. Uh, is, it's fascinating. And I think it's really important work that you're doing.
1: Well, thank you very much for the interview. I had fun
0: doing it. So that's our show for this week. We'll be back in two weeks with a new show. Until next time, I'm Bob Krell. Thanks again for watching and stay healthy.